0: Download your free audiobook today at audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters, thanks for being here today. We're excited to continue on with our series of author interviews that we call Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. It's our summer reading list for 2015. And today our author is first-time author, which I love talking to first-time novelists because that's such a singular experience, bringing out your first novel. Uh, her book is Love and Miscommunication. Her name is Alisa Friedland. She is uh, a She's a lawyer, she's a writer, she's a mother, and now she's a guest on Satellite Sisters. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to Satellite Sisters.
1: Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm
0: great. I'm great. Hey, what? Um, we're going to talk all about love and miscommunication. It's an interesting sort of take on modern love and how social media can be your friend or your foe in that pursuit. Um but first, I just wanted to ask a couple things about your background. Um, what is it like having your first novel out? It's just been out a little bit. You're now on the road. You're doing interviews and stuff like that. You were a lawyer previously, and now you're a novelist. What's that like?
1: You know, it's weird because it's honestly, it's a dream come true. Yeah. And I worked so hard to get to this place. And then it's almost like after your wedding, like you wake up the next morning and it's like, now what's the next big thing gonna ha- that's going to happen <laughs> to me? Because there was so much tremendous build up to this moment. I mean, I started this book, you know, maybe four years ago. Okay. And I had a bunch of kids and I had to take time off for various things. And it was a really long labor of love. And then to see it out in the world, it's so rewarding getting emails from people who are reading it and telling me how much they're enjoying it, sharing their feedback with me, especially my close friends who I think can't help but picture me when they're reading the book. Right. that's been really fun, just getting lots of text messages and emails from them saying how much they're enjoying it, because I didn't have that many early readers. And this is the first chance for many of the people in my life to read the book. It's really amazing walking into a bookstore and seeing it. It's exciting. I love my book, my jacket art. It's bright yellow. It is. It's very 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 eye-catching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And they, by the way, the publisher nailed that on the first try. Mm -hmm. I expected it to be a tremendous back and forth. I thought I'd be so particular about what they come up with. They nailed it on the first try. couldn't have been happier. It's been an incredible, incredible journey. I have nothing but positive things to say about the experience.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good. I think we have a lot of would-be writers that listen to these interviews and they're always searching for inspiration to keep going or to get started. How did you actually, like, is this a story that was bubbling around in your head? It's the story of a lawyer who um, is overly enthusiastic about social media and her email and working working on personal stuff on work time. And she ends up losing her job over it. And so then she goes into To this social media blackout moratorium, uh, digital detox, what you will. And she kind of learns a lot about her relationships with her family and her friends and her romantic relationships during that time. So that's essentially the story of love and miscommunication. Was that something bubbling around in your head for a while before you actually put pen to paper?
1: Well, I have a writing background. And before I went to law school, I had worked at New York Magazine. I'd worked at Modern Bride. I thought I would become a journalist Mm -hmm. and and sort of took the path of least resistance from going to law school, felt (laughs) a bit safer to me and to get to stay in school a little bit longer and on my parents' tab and all that good stuff. But I really wasn't satisfied in my job. And it was, I don't know that I necessarily knew I would write a novel, but I dreamed of going back to writing Mm -hmm. and reading to magazines again. But I started to think a tremendous amount, basically three things happened in my life that made me focus so much on the internet and social media. I attended my college reunion. Okay. It was the most surreal experience because it wasn't what a reunion should be. You normally want to look great and you want to lose weight for a reunion. You want to look (laughs) fabulous and have news to report, but, not when there's Facebook and everybody already knows every single thing about you. It is true, but isn't it? It's it weird now. Experience and and it, I could see that we were entering into a new. I'm fascinated by social norms, and you didn't know at this point. Should you say to someone like, "Oh, you look so great. Your child is so cute. You're this. Oh, congrats on the new job, because that means that you're following their Facebook page. Should you not be? you know should you pretend say hey where are you living when actually <laughs> that's you true. just looked at their page you're kind of like stalking them a little bit online and they don't know it it was weird so that was a very strange experience i also at the same time my husband and i had tried to set up a friend and we wanted to set him up with a girl who i can't remember her name anymore but let's say it was like jennifer smith she had okay that's a, let's a say super that. generic name yeah that she could not be googled. I mean, you, you Googled her name and a million returns came back and he couldn't find a picture of her and he wouldn't go on the date with her without a picture. And I saw that because oh. there's so many, you know, there's so much information out there. He's like, why would I take this girl out when someone else will set me up and I can see if the girl's pretty before I actually go out or if I'm attracted to her. That upset me. And it was like the blind date as we know it is over. <laughs> You expect to not only see a picture, but to see a picture of the person's friends and what they did last night and what they had for breakfast on Instagram. And then finally, when I was at work at the law firm, someone came over to me and said, oh, it's really cool that you met your husband at such and such. And I I said, well, I know I never told him that, but it was like a little detail in our wedding announcement that was in my town paper. And I realized, wow. He looked me up.
0: Oh, not sure gosh. that gosh.
1: remembered that that's how he got the information. And in my book, In Love and Miscommunication, there's a great scene. I don't want to give it all away, but there's a great scene that you might remember where Evie, the main character, is out on a date and she says something to her date that he says, I'm, how do you know that? Like, did you Google yeah. me? Yes. And <laughs> yes. That, I just thought there is such a great story here. And I realized for so many people, life would be very different without the internet. And I don't just mean distraction wise that they're not, they're going to be able to watch a TV show or read more novels without the internet. I mean, the choices they make, they might make a new friend that they wouldn't made, wouldn't have made otherwise if they didn't look the person up and maybe find something that they don't find appealing. I know, you know, when I get my nursery school class list, I'm like, "Ooh, I'm kind of tempted to look up the other parents. Who are these people? Oh, you've done because it. Come on. Yeah. Of course I've done it. But I actually have stopped because it's been so much more fun seeing what people choose to share with me, when it comes out, how it comes out. It's It's been nice letting life happen a bit more organically. And that's definitely the message of my book.
0: It absolutely is. In fact, I'm looking at the question that I wrote down to ask, like, You know, it's been a long time since we all discovered each other organically and over time, not all at once from Facebook. And I think that's one of the things that really comes, it's a reminder to the rest of us to like, oh yeah, why don't we slow down? Why don't we pull back? Why don't we not Google each other? Why don't we just, you know, let relationships actually happen? All kinds of relationships, friends, relationships, you know, doctor patient relationships in your book happen organically. And that's really fun to see now. Now, in your book, um, I, I, your friends think it's you. Obviously, when you write a first novel, everyone thinks the main character is you. But in your book, Evie is fired from her law firm uh, because she spends too much time on social media and attending to personal stuff. Even though she's doing a very good job, she is spending too much of the firm's time on her personal stuff. Did you have an issue with that at your law firm? I'm sure you were not fired. but um, I was with- not fired. Okay. <laughs> Did that happen to someone you know, though? Was that just... No, it didn't
1: happen to somebody I know, but I did feel guilty. I was always checking my email. And it was... Evie's at a more of a crossroads in her life than I was when I was there. I already had my first child. I was married. I was pretty settled in my life and my friends and everything. But I still was like always looking at my email while I was doing work to see who's emailing me to say hi, who's asking for dinner plans. Evie is really at a crossroads in her life. She wants to find out like who's calling her for a date, which friend is doing what. She's kind of keeping up with the Joneses. She can't disconnect. And when I was at work, I mean, I hope my boss, you know, doesn't ever listen to this. I loved him so much, but I was. <laughs> nice I cover. Playbook. Good cover. I mean, yeah. He, he he was an amazing, amazing guy. Honestly, that. and everyone I worked with was great, but I was really obsessed with words with friends and this is so mortifying, but I couldn't. Stop moving if I would see that whoever I was playing against moved in words with friends. I had to move right in the middle of the workday. I was playing full on Scrabble games. It was terrible. And I was serious about my job. And I think I did a good job, but I clearly would have done a better job without the Scrabble. So,
0: do you think that's generational? Because I'm Gen X. Are you a millennial? I don't know how you'd characterize yourself, but I feel like I know what
1: I am. I'm 33. Okay.
0: I, yeah, I think you're a millennial. You're yeah. So and this book felt very like a millennial love story to me. It's you know said so the woman in the book is 34, and her 35th birthday is impending. She lives in New York City. Do you think that's generational? Because I I look at people like my husband who has a corporate job, like never in the middle. First of all, he doesn't even know what words with friends us. So he. <laughs> He doesn't even, even though he, he does like strategic stuff with technology, he can like barely download an app. So uh, do you think it's an issue with your generation or do you see it seeping out to others?
1: I think it's, okay, here's what I think. I think that it's my generation that's definitely obsessed, but I think anyone that gets into the technology and gets more comfortable with it and uses these things, the addiction grows on them because I have a number of like my mother and father are not, they don't use any of the social media. But I think if they did, they would quickly grow addicted because a number of my friend's parents who are the same age as my parents, you know, in their mid to late 60s, early 70s, who have gotten comfortable on Instagram and Facebook are just as addicted as I am. Because I think we all get addicted to the fix of new information. And the trick is to not get addicted in the first place, because once you get addicted to constantly getting a jolt of new information every two minutes, when you refresh your screen, it's very hard to break it. So I don't I think that it's. It's my generation in the sense that it all crops up now, where yes. we're younger and we're we're the ones at work every day and the jobs and sort of the the, you know. Well, you
0: things. you've never lived a life without it. I I've mean, never I, <laughs> life. no, I haven't. Been. Yeah, I mean, when I first started my first corporate job at 22, email was new. You know, that was so that's that was all new. The internet was kind of new then. So, but you've never lived a life without being very connected. So, but I think
1: that I look at my own. Mother, and I think that if she were on Facebook, I think she would love it, and I think she would want to check it every single day and a few (laughs) times a day. It's just the fact that she's never gotten started, yeah, that's saving her. Okay,
0: all right. We're talking to Alyssa Friedland. Her book is Love and Miscommunication, it's just out, it's in paperback. It's a really fun romantic comedy set in modern day New York with very modern manners and social media and some romance. But one of the interesting things I thought, um, About your book, uh, Alyssa was, the main character decides to go on this moratorium. She changes her life. She decides the digital detox. And one of the connections she really loses is with her friends. Like that, everything is done electronically now. No one sends invitations. No one even picks up the phone anymore. And I love that your main character has to keep saying, if you want to talk to me, call me which seems pretty obvious but no one talks on the phone anymore so yeah yeah.
1: her her friends love her she loves her friends but if there if she's not participating in the group text messages and she's not responding to the paperless post they kind of can forget yeah and i could see that happening and it's not really because i if i were to disconnect I, i could see my friends who love me i could see them overlooking you know inviting me to a party because I just don't remember that I'm not going to see that paperless post. And that was sort of my, my point. And I've talked to someone recently who just finished my book and she said, you know, when people call me now, I actually think it's rude. Like why? Are they-? <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's like, I, I don't assume, get that. I assume you're going to the hospital because like, why else would you have picked up the phone <laughs> to call me? Yeah. It's become like an intrusion. And actually I kind of feel like a friend called me today to ask me about dinner plans. And I, I almost thought, well, that's weird. Why didn't you just text me? Why did you call? <laughs> I Which mean, she's That's a huge shift.
0: That's friendly. a huge shift in, it in communications. It yeah. is. I
1: thought it was strange. And she's a big texter. So I don't totally understand why she decided to call me for that. And something I'll, I would even ask her, because I'm curious. It's so unusual to receive a phone call for that kind of logistical set up a dinner type of conversation that I'm going to ask her next time I see her, what made her pick up? the phone? Because it was so unusual. Maybe she just wanted to hear your voice. Well, last night, I'm sure she's sick of me.
0: So, (laughs) um, you know, let's talk a little bit about writing the book actually, because were you writing it while you were, are you still practicing law?
1: No, no, Okay. So doing this now full time. Okay,
0: great. So did you sign up for a class? Did you go for it on your own? You know, did, did you, I, yeah, go I for it. Class. Tell me your process. People love so, hearing process. So
1: my background, like I said, I, I did have a writing background. And when I was in undergrad, I was the managing editor of our college paper. So I had a tremendous amount of writing experience, but in a totally different realm. I was reporting. Yeah. And, but I am a creative person and my process was not to outline. I just sat down and typed and made a million revisions. It probably would have been easier. And for my second book, which is taking, which is told from two different perspectives and I have two, uh, two major characters, I feel like I, it's a little bit more complicated and I'll need to outline more, but mm-hmm. I did not do any outlining. I had a vision of a woman who gives up the internet and ends up in a very different place than she would have had she not given it up. And that was my overarching theme. And then the, ancillary characters were built from my own life. I looked around at my friends. Some of them are composites of people I know, details, things I love, little quirks. I just became the most observant person in the world. And not because I tried to become more observant, but because I was writing a book, mm-hmm. I would be out riding the subway and I would see someone biting their fingernails in the most unusual fashion. And I would think, what a great detail for the book. And I would jot it down on my smartphone, actually. I would pull out my my iPhone and I would have the notes section. I would say like, fingernails and that would be my reminder you know (laughs) like little behaviors or, or strange way somebody was dressed that I feel I felt like would be a great thing to write about I wrote it down and I did take some classes I signed up for uh two semesters at the Gotham Writers Workshop which is just like a very casual place um downtown in the city and I went once a week and we were in writing workshops the first was a beginner class and we got some some kind of kooky crazy people there who weren't that serious and But then once I got to the more advanced level, it really was just absolutely phenomenal. And we workshopped our papers with our classmates and I started writing the book in the class and I got some great early feedback and wrote the book, showed it to some friends, showed it to some family, got some honest feedback. You definitely, anyone who's trying to write you know who your friends are that are going to be honest with you. Don't waste your time showing it to anybody who's just going to tell you they love it, no matter what. And we know who those people are. I think Shows that them. holds
0: a lot of writers up, is that they're either afraid to show their work or when they get feedback, they they don't internalize it. They dismiss it. Yes. So, and a lot of first-time writers are just paranoid about signing up for a class as if someone's going to steal their idea. Yeah. But yeah. the truth is, it's just so hard to finish a novel that go right. ahead, steal my idea. Like, I dare you because you probably couldn't finish the book it's anyway. It's so funny
1: you say that. I was definitely worried about that. I was like, my concept is so good. My concept is so strong. Somebody's going to steal it. And probably someone could have taken it. And, and I have, because I have three kids, I have very little free time. So it takes longer to write a novel than it takes somebody else who has, you know, all the time in the world. It There was like a slight danger, but it's like anything in life. You know, you just have to be somewhat of a trusting person and hope for the best. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm still a bit guarded. I mean, for my second novel, I'm not running around broadcasting, you know, I'm telling my friends what my second novel is about, but like, I'm not putting it up on my website. I mean, not until I sign my next book deal. So,
0: (laughs) Good thinking. That's the lawyer in you, but But, that's also good thinking.
1: But I, but I did. I mean, I think that the writing classes were great. And I think, like I said before, just showing it to people who are very honest, the same people that tell you when you have lipstick on your teeth and your outfit is, you know, not zipping all the way up in the back. Those people are the ones who are going to be honest with you. And they really saved my book, I would say, from ending up, you know, in the bin at an agent, Yeah, you know, just with one page read. I mean, it was already in pretty good shape by the time I went out to get an agent.
0: That's great. And did they, did you make changes based on their feedback then?
1: So my agent was fantastic. She, signed me and she was, I I adore her. And she said, you know, I want you to work with this freelance editor that I always work with because she's, she's like, I know your book. I know I can sell your book, but I'm not able to make it better. That's not my specialty. You Mm -hmm. know, she's like, I'm more of the business side. And she set me up with a wonderful freelance editor. And I just owe so much to her for making, I mean, we just saw eye to eye and she's had moved out to California. She was working at random house and she was such an accomplished editor with so many great books under her belt. And we worked together for about, I don't know, maybe 10 months or so. I mean, writing is, that's the other thing I'm in the corporate world. Like I was used to everything moving very quickly. Right. But this is a slow process and it's a slow burn and, my agent kept saying I was like isn't she eager to sell my book and she would just say take all the time in the world take the time make sure it's where you want it to be before we go out to sell it and she didn't ever pressure me and I was so surprised because I was used to like sharks from the business world (laughs) and yeah see it's a slow it's just a slow slow burn so then she went out and she sold it and uh from the time of sale and that to the time that the book's available it was one year Oh Which you're is, right
0: like, that and that's a fairly typical timeline, I think very people...
1: typical it was like exactly what they said it would be. They were right. like, you know somewhere between ten to eighteen months, and it fell exactly at twelve months.
0: Now, I noticed that you're doing some fun things out on your book tour, but I particularly noticed we're recording this uh, in May, just before Memorial Day weekend, and I noticed that your book is going to be a giveaway on the Hampton Jitney this weekend.
1: I'm very excited. So
0: tell people who are not from the New York area what happens on the Hampton Jitney that Friday before Memorial Day weekend. Is that uh, that something you've experienced or you know what happens on that Jitney? Yes. yes, Okay. Tell people what that's like.
1: Jitney has, you know, lots of people, I mean, anyone who doesn't have a car, I mean, ton of, tons of us living in New York who go out to the beach um, on the weekends in the summer, who go to the Hamptons, don't have cars. We live in the city. So the Jitney is super popular and it's very social on the bus. And they give you these amazing swag bags now. I don't know if that's always <laughs> that's been- That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. They're like, whoever has a new sunscreen launching or a lip balm or this or that or magazines. And- it's, part, I mean, it's expensive. I don't know how much it costs to go on the Ginny, but it's not cheap. And you get something for your money. So I was really excited that they picked my book as their Memorial Day weekend giveaway. I was more than happy. You know, the publisher was thrilled as well because it's a great summer book, I think. I think that it's a great book because all the people on the Jitney are probably were probably planning to spend the entire three hour drive to the Hamptons on their phones. Yes,
0: exactly. Now, that is a self-selected crew you got there on that Hampton Jitney. Yeah,
1: So I'm really excited. I think there's going to be tremendous buzz from the book being there. And I'm hoping that when I go to the beach, I see some people (laughs) reading it. That's going to be a really rewarding thing
0: um so so people have been reading it now it's been out have you gotten any surprising feedback did this book hit too close to home for people that kind of recognize themselves in the main character as somebody who may need to reassess their relationship with social media
1: everyone i mean you know you can go on amazon i've read my amazon reviews i mean oh you're
0: brave you're very brave
1: Yeah, I've been doing it. I think it's because I'm new and I'm naive. I'm sure (laughs) that you know. And once I get one really, really horrible one, I will. uh, I'll probably stop. But I've been reading my Amazon reviews, and and it's no one has said. I was worried people would say it's not realistic. Like you can't go offline, and I'm happy that nobody said that so far because I worked really hard to build a realistic picture of a person offline. But you know, I was concerned about that criticism. No, everyone's basically so far said that it's made them reevaluate their own usage of the internet and social media, and it's made them reflect, so.
0: I would say the happy. same. After I finished the book, I was like, oh, gosh, I got to rethink a few things. But I think you really did build a realistic version. There were times when I just wanted to scream at the character, just Google him. Just right. <laughs> just check right. your email. How can you not check your email? <laughs> so. But it's something
1: I feel, you know, I feel that, you can't just sort of quit partially. I mean, I think right. there's guidelines. Like I'm pretty strict with myself as far as I don't want to look at my phone the second I wake up. And I was doing that for a while and I stopped and it's gross. You haven't brushed your teeth yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I wear glasses and contact lenses and I would be, you know, it's my glasses. I couldn't find them in the morning. I didn't have my contacts. and I was squinting to read my new emails before brushing my teeth while my kids were jumping on me in the bed. And I thought, well, this can certainly wait 20 minutes, you right, know? So right. now I'm very strict about not checking it um, and giving myself sort of parameters. Like I won't look at my phone until nine o'clock in the morning, like nothing. There's no reason I need to respond to somebody at 7.15 AM. That's good. So good for I you. I started to do that, which has been really, really helpful on social media as well. I think it's important not to like, let myself breathe a little bit. I was just Um, interviewed on the radio right before this. And I was talking about crossing the street and how we do a lot of walking in Manhattan. And it's like about a minute if you're at a red light waiting to cross the street. It's what maybe it's red for a minute or, you know, waiting for the walk sign. And I was pulling out my phone to entertain myself while waiting to cross the street. Since when did one minute of boredom become like the worst thing in the entire world? And I would be combing Instagram in that brief break. And I thought, well, I could just look around or let my brain have a rest instead of having to give it a jolt of new information. So I think for Evie, the whole point of why she had to give it up for an entire year and why she really had to go cold turkey is that it's very hard to, you know, it's like, I'm going to quit alcohol, but... Except for Thursdays, I'm gonna drink right. a lot. Like that's just not possible. Right. You know, you have the taste for it, you wanna drink all the time. You know, you wanna you check your email, you're used to always looking at your phone. It's hard to say, but not on Saturdays.
0: Right, right. Well, here in the rest of the world where we drive, we check our email at red lights as well. But we're in our car, so it's like illegal and it's stupid, right? Since exactly. when can we not just sit at a red light and let the exactly. red light be and totally. look around? Well, totally. it's particularly true for writers that you need to put down the phone and look around because you need to steal details like people eating their fingernails on the subway for your next book. (laughs) Now now you have so much at stake. You know, there is a really lovely relationship in the book with Evie and her grandmother. Is that based on a relationship that you had or you've observed or, you know, where did that come from?
1: Well, what I loved about her being so close to her grandmother, it didn't come from me. I loved both my grandmothers, but wasn't particularly close to either Mm -hmm. of them. I'm very close to my mom. uh, So that I would say like some of the closeness comes from that and I'm close to my family. But what I liked about why I had her so close to her grandmother, almost closer to her grandmother than her mom was like, I I like the return to traditional values where it was sort of like the grandmother is very old school and she just wants to see Evie married and settled. And the, the mom is more of a modern woman, I would say. Like Mm -hmm. she's, not as obsessed with it. And she's, you know, she had a career of her own and she loves her daughter very much, but doesn't put pressure on her. And then Evie kind of in this way that makes her feel a little bit like a traitor to being a woman and a traitor to feminism. She kind of aligns herself a little bit more with her grandmother. And I love the idea of the generational bookends kind of, you know, feeling like they shared more values than sort of the mother in the middle.
0: Well, that's really comes through in the book. It's a really nice contrast and it plays well with the whole concept of the digital detox, that there is actually a way to meet people and to foster relationships that don't involve Facebook. (laughs) And that's really, the grandmother represents that very successfully and she's a delightful character to read. So Alyssa, what's up next for you? You said you're working on another novel. Are you doing other stuff or, you know, is the book tour going to take over for you this summer or how are you managing your time now?
1: Well, I'm headed out to California to promote the book in June for two weeks. So I'll be in San Francisco, San Diego, and Los Angeles. All right.
0: Yeah. Los Angeles. Okay.
1: I love LA. I'm very excited to go. And I feel like I'm going to eat some really good food when I'm there. (laughs) Like great restaurants. Um, What else? I've got some events lined up for the fall. I need to carve out time to progress on my second book. I've, I've been doing some freelance pieces, contributing to magazines and websites. So that's been fun. And I'd like to take a little break and maybe give myself a week of nowhere because I've been working nonstop. But I've been thrilled with the response that so many book clubs have chosen. That's this neat. Book. Yeah. I didn't totally expect it. I kind of thought that book clubs will... I, I am not in a book club. I haven't been in one for a while. And but i But you're I, busy. I'm you're like, busy. You got a lot to do. Busy, but I had <laughs> thought that they would maybe pick books that are a little bit more like some World War II book or some, you know, like orphans and you know, Zimbabwe, like very <laughs> right. serious subject matter. And this is like more of a fun read. So I didn't expect such a massive response with book clubs, but I've been getting lots of requests for, pe- for me to call into book clubs and Skype with book clubs. Oh, great. I'm really excited. I think it's just the digital thing that everyone is so excited to talk about social media. And that's why the book is doing so well with the book club community. So that's been really rewarding for me. Yeah,
0: it definitely hits a nerve. It definitely hits a nerve. Well, if you are interested, I will put everything you need to know about love and miscommunication and links to Alyssa's website at SatelliteSisters.com. The book is in paperback, which is also a really nice thing for book clubs. You know what? Because a lot yes, of book clubs have a sort of no, no hardcover rule just because paperbacks are everybody can get a paperback. So I think that's another, a great, uh, a great thing to do to reach out to book clubs is to publish in paperback. So congratulations. Thank and you. we've so enjoyed talking to you. I wish you the best of luck. Keep writing and uh, maybe we'll see you when you're in Los Angeles.
1: It would be terrific. Yes, please let me know. All right. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Alyssa. Stay with us. A little bit more with Satellite Sisters when you come back. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. I'd like to thank Audible for sponsoring our WordWrite Festival. If you've been listening to Satellite Sisters, you know they're a great supporter of ours and we appreciate that. If you're dying to try an audiobook, summer's a great time for it. If you're hitting the road, you're going to be stuck on the Hampton Jitney, why don't you get yourself an audiobook at Audible? They have 150,000 titles and a lot of great reads for the summer. You need to use our special URL to get your download for free. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters, audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. Thanks to Audible for supporting Satellite Sisters and thanks to Satellite Sisterhood for supporting the people that support us. I'd like to thank our guest today, Alyssa Friedland. Her book is Love and Miscommunication. For more information about that and all of our Word Write authors, as we go through this summer interview series, you can always go to SatelliteSisters.com, SatelliteSisters.com. Join us on our Facebook page if you're not a member of our group yet. Come on. We have a good time over there. We are constantly, constantly swapping book suggestions. Uh, so if you're a reader and uh, you want constant updates on what you should be downloading or what you should be reading, you are going to want to join the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. Just go ahead and ask to join, and if you're not a bot, we will approve you. You can also join, like our official page at Satellite Sisters as well on Facebook. Thanks everyone for joining us today. We appreciate it. You can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com, and don't forget, call your Satellite Sister.